Hey, this is Pastor Steve. I'm excited to say I'll be back with you guys next weekend as we finish up our series called The Lord's Prayer. Now, this weekend, I want to welcome back my dear friend, Pastor Brett Fuller. I believe he's one of the greatest pastors and communicators in the church world today. Pastor Brett is the founder and the pastor of Grace Covenant Church, a multi-site church based right outside of our nation's capital. Pastor Brett is not only a pastor, but he's a leader, an educator, an author, husband, father of seven, and a grandfather. And he's also the chaplain of the Washington Commanders. But we won't hold that against him. You guys are gonna love the message from Pastor Brett today. So it's truly a privilege to have Pastor Brett with us once again. So I'm gonna ask everyone to do me a favor. Let's all stand up on our feet right now, put our hands together and give Pastor Brett Fuller a huge Church of the King welcome. Come on guys. I'd like to first say I'm grateful for the discipline that allows you to cheer for a chaplain from another NFL team. <laughs> it is always a joy to be with you, always. And I respect this platform and what God is doing in this house deeply. It's a holy environment into which I step. And you all are really privileged to be able to have Pastor Steve and Jennifer and Doug, and Randy, and Ben, and the entire team to call yours. Very privileged. I live in the environment of trying to help churches or pastors do what they need to do well. And I rarely have to help your pastor. He does things so well. So well. With excellence, with kingdom in mind, with local church in mind with replication in mind, multiplication in mind, discipleship in mind, leadership development in mind, holiness in mind, all of these things that are most important to establishing something on the planet that looks like what ought to be in heaven, your pastor does. So whenever I have an opportunity to present, all I want to do is add to that. There's nothing I need to replace. There's nothing I need to fix it's just a wonderful moment for me to kind of put some spice and, if you will, blacken the salmon. <laughs> Welcome, you who are online. Glad to have you. And all the campuses, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Turn with me over to the book of Matthew. I have been wonderfully tasked with the responsibility of continuing your series on the Lord's Prayer. And my portion is Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. The title of the message is, Pray Like Jesus, Deliver Us from Evil. Matthew 6, 13. Jesus says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to read another passage of Scripture that's related to the idea of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Lord, help us as we study your word. Two things in this passage about which I'd like to speak. 
one to ask. God, Jesus concentrates on us for us to ask him to deliver us from the things that would entrap us that are in our heart. And two, Lord, deliver us from the bad things that are in the world. Jesus was a master communicator and an excellent strategist. When the disciples asked him, teach us to pray, he realized that they needed more than even they knew how to ask. They were more dense than they knew they were. And all of us find ourselves in the same spot. Hear me. Even though we have this template that allows us to understand how to communicate with God, if we don't know how to communicate with God, we rarely use it. We use it more as a rote prayer. I know this is a largely Catholic community, and so I'm very sensitive to the needs and the, the traditions that are present in other places. But it was never intended to be prayed so many times that somehow if you prayed it enough, God would hear you. Never. This was to be an outline. And you, I'm not telling you anything new. This was to be an outline that you populated with the things that were relevant so that you could relate to God well. And Jesus concentrated on the five most important things for our well-being. Number one, worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's all about worship. Concentrating on who he is. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Priorities. Making sure that you are set in, in, in what's most important to, to God's will in your life rather than your own. Number three, provision. Give us this day our daily bread. You don't even get to provision until you get to worship and priorities. Number four, relationships. God, help me to forgive folk just like you've forgiven me. Let me say it differently. Let me forgive folk just like I have been forgiven. Or differently, lead us, Lord, Lord, help me to uh, uh, make sure that the trespasses that I forgive are just like I have been forgiven. It checks us so that when we are talking about other people, we're referring back to ourselves. When we think about the offenses that they've done to us, we're also referring to the things that we have done to God. It makes us deal with relationships in a way that, that's uncomfortable. Jesus did not want us to practice our religion hypocritically and relate to him without relating to others well. So forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's the most dangerous part of the prayer. Dangerous. Because you're actually asking God to forgive you like you forgive everybody else. How's that working for you? You don't want to pray this by rote because you might be asking judgment on yourself. You want to think about this. This ought to be very contemplative. And then number five, direction. So worship, priorities, provision, relationships, and direction. Those are the five areas that are most important for your progress. And Jesus knew the disciples would not be able to get it, so he laid it out for them. Do this and you'll be good. If you never know how to pray another prayer, if you fill in this, populate it well, you'll be okay. And obviously, you've gone through the first four and done fabulously with them. So as I said, I've been tasked with number five. And here he says, 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, you have to understand something about the literary styles of Scripture in order to get what Jesus is trying to communicate, because he is doing something that has been done long ago in the Old Testament. He's using a, a technique called parallelism, whereby a passage is stated, and then it is restated for greater emphasis so that you understood what he said the first time. Parallelism. Sometimes parallelism is worked in the antithetical, meaning in the opposite. So in Psalm 40, verse 3, uh, it says, Help me, O Lord, and deliver me. Make haste to make sure that I am free. Here we have a parallelism where the second actually brings emphasis to the first. It's a different way of saying the exact same thing. But a reverse parallelism. Reverse parallelism or an antithetical parallelism can be found, say, in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. The wise man, verse 2, the wise man inclines his heart to the right, but the wicked man inclines his heart to the left. You have the opposites in order to reinforce what was said in the beginning. And here Jesus is using the technique in, in literature of, of, and verbiage of communicating a parallelism to make sure people understood when he was trying to say what he was saying, how important it is for you to get this. Don't miss this point. And he used it all throughout the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's using this idea to reinforce what he said in the beginning. And here, he's taking the idea of being delivered from evil and, and transposing it to the idea of what it means to, to not have temptation take over your life. The passage that I read in 1 Corinthians has been used for many, many different things. But the intent that Paul was trying to convey was that which allowed the church at Corinth to develop victory, not complacency. And generally, this passage has been said like this. It's been interpreted like this. It's not the meaning, and not everybody does it, but this is the way I've heard it the most, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Not true. <laughs> not, no, in no way has my experience in God ever confirmed that. He always, that is his standard operating procedure, to give me much more than I can handle. Because when he gives it to me, and I know I can't handle it, the weight of it does this. If he only gives me what I can handle, what do I need him for? His practice is to put more on you than you can take. The only area that he says will never overcome you because he provides a way of escape is the area of temptation. But burdens do not apply here. He will always give you more than you can take. That's why I got seven kids. <laughs> but the passage here gives such a note of victory. God is well able to provide for you a way of escape because there is no temptation that has come upon you that is foreign. Everything that happens and everything that will happen and everything that has happened has already happened. Somebody's been through what you're about to go through. 
And all you got to do is look at the videotape. If you think that the situation by way of temptation is that which is so difficult, all you got to do is read your Bible because there is nothing that comes upon you that's brand new. The enemy does not have new plays. They're the same old plays. I live in the athletic world, and, and for the most part, the team practices literally running on the field and doing plays about six hours a week. That's it. They do a lot of walkthroughs, which really don't matter. They're just making sure everybody's in the right spot. But real practice and real throwing the ball and, 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 and real defending somebody, about six, six and a half hours a week, that's about it. Everything else is spent in a room listening, watching film of the people that they're about to play next week. And then guys will stay afterwards who really feel like they need a, a, a serious upgrade in order to defend or play well. They'll stay afterwards, after the, the day is over, and just keep click, clicking the video. So they go back, oh, he does that. When he, when he moves this way, that means he's taking a right. When he moves this way, it means he's going left. When he doesn't move, he's going straight. Oh, when he makes a double move, I got all these things are little things to give them an advantage. Why? Because they realize teams have tendencies, and generally, they don't stray from their strengths. They're going to do it again. And if you talk to most offenses, they will tell you the defense probably knows from the formation that we're in what we're going to run because they've watched film so much. The key is, can they stop it? With the good teams? Nope. Can't. And there are some teams that were so competent at what they did. The linemen, I, this is what they told me. The linemen would go to the defensive linemen as they were lining up on the line, look at them before the play even started, before the quarterback got under center, and say, by the way, we're coming right here. We're going to run right here. And they did. And they couldn't stop it. Oh, it was so discouraging for the defense. Because they said, we knew where they were going to be, and we couldn't do anything about it. Probably a too long of analogy to talk about how the enemy doesn't have new plays. He's been doing the same thing from the beginning. And if we fall for his stuff, it ain't nobody's fault but you, but me. Because we have a way of escape. All you got to do is look at what the, what's been done in the Old Testament. Listen, there are people that are really good helps to you. You know that passage where Jesus talks about uh, that, that salt we are to be to the world, Matthew 5. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, it is good for nothing except to be thrown out in the street and trampled underfoot by men. Salt was a preserving agent. It was a flavoring agent, just like it is today, but not so much used today in terms of preserving because we have refrigeration. But if the salt was left out too long, it lost both its ability to savor and to flavor. And, and, and then they couldn't use it for food anymore. But it was useful for something. It snowed. I know it doesn't snow here, but it snows in Israel. It snows in my place a lot, Washington. And one of the ways that we make sure that people don't slip on my sidewalk is that we take rock salt and we cast it out because it lowers the temperature of water. 
in terms of freezing. It doesn't freeze at 32. Now it freezes somewhere at 23. And so if it's 31 degrees, the ice just melts. That's a good thing because nobody will slip. When we are not the salt of the earth, as we should be, we're still good for something. Samson helps me. He helps me. Not in terms of the testosterone that most men feel when they think about the strongest man on the planet who has ever lived. I mean, that dude. How do you kill a thousand soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey? First of all, a jawbone. But donkeys don't even have canines. Those are the the eye teeth, you know, the fangs. You don't watch National Geographic at all, do you? (laughs) They don't have teeth like lions, three-inch eye teeth. They don't. They have molars. How are you going to kill people with molars? (laughs) Not only was it a jawbone, it was the wrong kind of jawbone. And these were warriors that had, they had swords and they had shields and they had armament. And he, he, a thousand people, that gate that he took from Gaza, says he ripped it off his hinges. It was a 5,000 pound gate. Ripped it off his hinges. Took it three quarters of a mile up a hill and set it on top to let all of Israel and the Philistines know that God has the gates of her enemies. Of his enemies. God has them. What a guy. Strength unparalleled. And this is the fellow from whom all the, the, his, the, the, the historical accounts of Hercules come. Hercules wasn't before this fellow. Samson was first. And they just decided to make some kind of mythical character out of him. So rather than saying things like when a guy does something really, really amazingly strong, he's Herculean. I said, no, nah, Samsonic. Samsonic. But as much as as Samson impresses me with his strength, he doesn't impress me with his worship. You can't find him ever sacrificing to God. He never said, oh, I'm called to deliver my people from the hands of the Philistines. Yes, Lord. He never answered his call. Ever. We find him talking to God twice. But both of the times can't be really described as prayer. After he had killed all these Philistines, he got thirsty. And this is what he says to God. I did a real favor for you and your people. And you going to let me die of thirst? Are you? Who? He was complaining to God. He wasn't praying. And the Lord showed him a well, and he began to drink. The second time he prayed was when he was blinded by the Philistines. They brought him out for sport. And he's there in the temple of Dagon. And he says, Lord, allow me one last time to avenge the enemy for what they have done to my eyes. It had nothing to do with helping people. It was vengeance. Those are the only two times he talked to God that we have on record. He didn't listen to his parents. His parents told him, "Uh, you know, can't you find a girl to marry among the Israelites? And he wanted a girl to marry among the Philistines. She, was, she must have been real pretty, real pretty, because he was violating everything that was important in order to get this woman. 
because the parents would say, no, don't do that. Now you, you may think, well, what's the problem? Why can't he marry who he wants? Well, how's this going to work? Like when you marry her and you have to kill her brother, how's that going to work? When you got to kill her uncles in war, how's that going to work for you? Bro, you can't do that. He did it anyway. And the Lord allowed it. It says, but nobody knew this was of the Lord. That's what it says. And many commentators have said, see, God was in this. Well, it was of the Lord because Samson never said yes. And the only reason God allowed this to happen was that she became the bait to get him to fight the Philistines. He would never have done it on his own. And then on top of that, if I hadn't already disparaged his character enough, it says he had, he had a fascination for, for women who worked at night. And you're sitting there thinking, really? He helps me. Because though he could not be the salt that he needed to be, when he was thrown out, he allowed other people to get traction so that they didn't slip. Samson helps me not slip. He still provides some kind of witness, just not the one God intended. My point is this. If you give in to temptation, you'll make it to heaven, but you may not be much good here. And you become, oh, don't do it like that. Don't do it like that. And you help other people not slip because of your disobedience. Here, Paul says, there's a way of escape. Now, in this building, which is just gorgeous, I'm just so proud of y'all for this building. I'm proud of what you build. I'm mean, it's just cool. But in this building, you don't notice it because you come in every time. But I'm looking at exit signs. They're all over. Big red exit signs. Why? Because if the building begins to Vern, if there's danger in here, you know where you can go to get out. And every time there is a temptation, God provides a way of escape. He shows you where the exit signs are. Don't do that. Here, here, here. Turn right. Turn right. But too many people either want to go in the direction that they, they shouldn't, or they believe they can handle it. I'm strong enough. I, 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 I really don't. I can go to a bar and hang out. I can, I can go and, and have lunch with my coworkers who are female on a regular basis. You can. Not many people I know have done that on a regular basis and found a wonderful way to stay faithful. They usually put themselves in a position of compromise because more is established than just a business deal. Now, I might be stronger than you desire on this, but I don't care. I don't even allow my secretary to drive me home. If my car's in the shop and it was supposed to be out by five, and there were more stuff that needed to be done than, than, than I thought, it has to go over the next day and I'm at the office, my secretary said, can I take you home? I said, no. I'll take, I'll take an Uber. I'm good. Some people say, well, you're too strict. I'm faithful. <laughs> and if you don't like what I said, you can delete that part. That's fine. But I'm doing everything I possibly can to make sure I don't wind up as rock salt for somebody else's traction. 
doing everything I possibly can. I'm, I, I, I find the exits. I look for the exits. And they might be a little bit more stringent than most. But I'm okay because I'm 35 years faithful. I'm okay with that. And it's not because I'm not even patting myself on the back. I'm just saying I am so weak and so messed up that I know if I put myself in a bad situation, I'll blow it. So I've got to do some stuff extra that maybe most folk don't in order to make sure I stay faithful. Now, maybe you're stronger than me. Maybe you're better than me. Good on you. I'm happy about that, but not Brett. Not Brett. I find the exits. And the beautiful thing about what Jesus says here, he says, do not lead us into temptation. The word there, lead, in the Greek is aspero, E-I-S-P-H-E-R-O. And it means, do not let me be taken away by my desire. It's not that God would ever lead you into temptation. It's that you would be felt as you are being led into temptation by your own desires, that somehow this might be him. And you can't feel that. You can't let that be important. You can't let that be the, 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 the conclusion to which you come. Do not let my heart trap me in the wrong direction. That's what Jesus is saying here. I can't be led wrong. Help me to stay right. And the Lord provides exits. He provides escapes so that we can always stay right. This is a note of victory. Jesus is trying to provide victory over sin for the disciples. This is the only aspect of the entire Lord's Prayer where he's focusing on desires that might trap and snare and disqualify somebody from ever talking whereby people want to listen. You can talk anytime. It doesn't matter whether you're sinner or not. You might be able to say the right thing, but doesn't matter to anybody else. If they see your life doesn't line up with what you say, do they turn you off? Most likely, yes. And so Jesus is saying, gentlemen, you've got to have some victory. You can't let failure be the thing that you constantly experience if you want to really be credible ministers. And most people look at their life, and every time they sin, they say, well, I'm only human. I mean, everybody sins, right? Yeah, everybody sins, but you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You are human. Therefore, God gave you the word of God, his word, in order for you to overcome this, not to submit to it. He's given you tools whereby you can actually have victory over sin. It does not have to overcome you. You can overcome it. And it has nothing to do with willpower. Zero to do with willpower. This isn't mind over matter. This is allowing the word of God to get down on the inside of you. Putting it in the vault of your own soul. So that when the enemy comes to you, you like Jesus can begin to quote stuff that confounds him. You got to have this word on the inside of you. You need to read your Bible every day. Every day you need to read your Bible. Every day, you need to read your Bible. Whatever syllables I need to stress in order to get this point to you, you need to hold on to. Read your Bible every day. And Jesus thought the Bible was so important. 
So, <laughs> you remember when the enemy came to him and tempted him? 40 days he had fasted. He was beginning his ministry. And, 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 and by, by all accounts, Jesus never had a problem with weight. I mean, it, it, you, you get the sense that this was a temperate man. Self-control. Gluttony was not an issue with him. Therefore, when he goes on a 40-day fast, he starts looking like Doug. <laughs> Randy. Ben. Pastor Steve. Good shape. Now, if Doug fasted 40, we'd probably have to do a funeral. There's just nothing left after that. And by the way, when you fast 40, which I've never done, and I'm not tempted to, by the way, just... <laughs> Just if I have nothing on the inside of me that ever thinks that's fun to do or should be important to me. But if you fast 40, when you start to feel hunger, it is not the kind of hunger you feel when it's lunchtime. It's the kind of hunger you feel only once in your life that says, if you do not feed me, your body says, I'm dying. I'm going to quit. It is an overwhelming hunger. And that's when the enemy comes. He says, Jesus, turn this stone to bread. Now, being God, he could say anything he wanted, and it would be right. He could just say, no. That's good. But he chose to go to Deuteronomy. He chose to go to Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Oh, the enemy said, oh, oh, you, you know your Bible. Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. I got you, got you. You know over there in Saul, uh, I don't know the way, but, but it says that you, if you get on top of something and you fall off, that the angels will get charged concerning you, and you won't strike your foot against a stone. Let me take you up here, and you, you, can, you can test it out. Mm, yeah, it says that, but it also says got this hierarchy of scriptures. Some scriptures supersede others. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Oh, you know your word like that. All right. All right. All right. And the enemy stopped trying to get him with just natural things with the word. He, he no longer manipulated. He said this, I'm going to go for your ego. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, they're mine to give if you bow before me. I can give it to you right now, right now. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God. Went back to Deuteronomy or Exodus or Leviticus. Pick your, 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 your Torah passage. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, hear me. If he who could have used any past, anything he wanted, any kind of rebuke to the enemy, did not, but chose to go to the word, how much more do you need that? These are the escapes. These are the exit signs. Read your Bible because it, it allows you to experience victory over sin. This is how you don't get trapped by your own desires. And then he says, deliver us from evil. I'm already going much too long. I'm so sorry, everybody. 
<clears throat> deliver us from evil. The word evil in the Greek is a word <clears throat> romai. And it literally means to draw toward. To draw toward. So when he says deliver us from evil, he's saying not only do I want you to take me out of something, but bring me to yourself. When we are delivered from something, from an evil desire, from evil in the world, it's God's provision, his protection on our life so that we are not affected by that which would tear us apart. But he doesn't just leave us unscathed. He says, I want you in the process to come to me. He's a God that takes us out but also brings us in. So whenever he is delivering you from something, he's trying to deliver you to something. It means... Deliver me from evil, but bring me to you. Oh, it's a tie for relationship. It's a cry for relationship. It's all about us getting close to him, knowing him better. This passage here, as I said, gives direction. It gives direction on where you should not go and where you should. You retreat from evil, but it brings you right into the presence of Almighty God. This is why it says in Hebrews, draw near, and he will draw near to you. I don't just want to be saved from. I want to be saved to. I don't just want to come out of Egypt. I want to feel what it's like to step my feet into the promised land. And everything about this, Jesus is ending this prayer with, Back in the presence of Almighty God. But now, with a sense of direction that allowed you to be fruitful in your progress. You not only overcame sin, but you learned some things about who I am. You grew closer to me in the process, and I enveloped you. Our relationship grew. This is what he's trying to convey through the prayer. This is where this prayer ought to lead us. With confidence that when we walk out of the sanctuary, I've got the ability to say no to the devil every day. I have my scriptures ready to pull out any time he wants to try to tempt me to disobey my God or run away from the calling that I've got. I have my scriptures. And at the same time, I'm finding myself with those scriptures being drawn to him. Stronger and stronger am I getting every day. I don't know what you do to fortify yourself with the word of God. I don't know how you do it, whether you do it via an app, via uh, scripture memory cards, uh, but figure out a way to make sure this word is so much a part of your life that the enemy rues the day that he tried to get you. That he recognizes you as a formidable threat and with the protection of Almighty God, like Jesus, it says that after Jesus said you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only, it says the enemy left him. Left him. There's a leaving that the enemy ought to do with respect to us. There's a leaving. Doesn't mean permanent, but it does mean for a season. Make him regroup. Make him regroup and figure out, ah, how do I get him? He won't go home with his secretary. Gosh, ah. He won't watch things on the internet. What do I do? He goes out on dates with his wife. He, who dates their wife? Who does that? They're, 
strengthening, fortifying, trying to make sure my life is front and center. Front and center. On the path. Not trying to figure out the margins and what they feel like over here, but running down the road in the middle. The narrow road in the middle. Don't let me be tempted and deliver me from evil. Lord, that's the kind of victory I'm looking for. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace and power and bless everybody in this house with the ability to apply your word to the enemy's attacks. Give them a hunger for your word, a desire for your word, a love for your word. It's the, it's the only weapon we've got spiritually. It provides for us all we need for life and for godliness. We need it. Put it in their mouths so that when they speak, it comes out like a two-edged sword. Is there anybody this evening who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Maybe you've made a decision in the past, <clears throat> but your life looks nothing like what a believer's ought to be, and you want to make a big change today. Anybody at all, today is a great day to get right with God. You online, here's an opportunity for you. Maybe you're not, you're not familiar with who Jesus is. Oh, he is so good. He is so loving. He is so kind. He is so forgiving. He is so merciful beyond your expectations. And nothing you have done dissuades him from reaching back out to you. Nothing. In fact, your sin draws him to you. He's trying to bring you home because sin erodes your life. It destroys your environment. It eats up everything that's good that God intended for you. He wants you to be able to resist it and to come to him. You who are online, if that's you, we're going to pray in just a minute. Anybody else here? Raise your hand high if that's you. Great. I see those hands up. You can put them up or put them down once they're up. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. You online, do the same. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And what an amazing message from Pastor Brett Fuller, deliver us from evil. I really believe that maybe God spoke to you something specific during this message. If that's so, then why don't you type it in the chat room right now? We would love to hear it. Maybe you feel like God is challenging you to take a leap of faith, to take a step towards him right now, to really surrender your life to Jesus in this moment. If that is you, I just want to personally say congratulations. I mean, that is literally the best decision that you could ever make. And as a church, we're cheering you on, we're standing with you, and we really believe that it's not meant to be a lone soldier type decision, that you're not meant to do it alone, but that really life is meant to be lived in the context of relationships. And as your church family, our heart is that we could come alongside you and really do this thing together with you. So your next step is to text the word DECISION to the numbers 822-822 right now. You can even just take your phone out, text that word to those numbers, or you can click the link in the chat room. And really what that allows me to do is to follow up with you, to hear your story and 
and almost like we're sitting across the table from one another at a coffee shop and, and really just get to know you and see how we as a church can best equip you and resource you as you're beginning this amazing new journey of following Jesus. Congratulations again. We can't wait to hear from you. You can also click the, the, the little button in the chat room for one of our hosts to pray with you, or you can just type, I'd like prayer. We have a team of hosts that are ready to pray with you, to encourage you, and really talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're just dealing with something and you need prayer. Our hosts would be honored to pray with you and really just encourage you and point you towards Jesus. How many of you are grateful for our online host team? Speaking of host team, maybe you're looking for a sense of, of purpose and significance in your life, of really going deeper in your relationship with God. The best thing for you to do, if you haven't already done it, is to go to step one, to jump into our next steps journey. And step one is starting this weekend. I personally would love to, uh, to get to know you right there on Zoom at step one online. So go to churchofthekingcom slash next steps and sign up today, reserve your spot. I can't wait to meet you there. And really what we'll, we'll be learning is how we can connect with God, connect with other people around us, really discover our purpose. Maybe that purpose for you is to join our online host team and to really be a part of this team that's impacting people all over the world. So I will see you at step one this weekend. Well, with that being said, our service is coming to a close. Thank you so much again for being a part of our service. We're so glad that you were here. And don't forget, Easter is in two short weeks. It's literally the best time of the whole year to invite someone to church. So if you're part of one of our physical locations, we would love to see you there. And if you're part of our online family, man, we are gonna have a super special online experience for Easter at Church of the King. It's gonna be incredible. It'll be here before we know it. So with that being said, have an amazing week. We'll see you here next weekend. Same time, same place. We love you guys, and we'll see you soon.